Welcome to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Eric Devonier, and I'm here today with Derek. Welcome, Derek. Thank you. Uh, just to start off, uh, just, we would just like you to introduce yourself just a little bit. I'm from Idaho, I guess. Originally, I was born in Wyoming, but grew up in Idaho. And I went to school here at BYU-Idaho. Got married, had a family, gone on to more school. Uh, and I guess some important things. Uh, I served a mission at the normal age, but interestingly, I, at the time when I left for my mission, I wasn't really sure that I was supposed to be doing something like that. Yeah. And in fact, I've since wondered if I sort of was making an act of bad integrity or bad faith really by going on a mission when I did because I really didn't, I, I just was so full of doubt and just really didn't believe the, the narrative. Yeah. And it really was on my mission that I sort of had these experiences and I had my third companion I kind of think is, was my missionary so to speak. He sort of taught oh. me and brought me into the gospel. And after that it really changed my mission and and I, I guess changed my whole life from then on. Wow. So, so you, you grew up in, in Idaho um, and you were, you were born into a family uh, of members, right? Mm -hmm. Practicing members. And so you, you went to church, did those kinds of things. So, so why did you feel like you, when you went on your mission, you were, you were full of doubt? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. When I was a teenager, I was excluded by the sort of larger group of boys that were in my age group. And I think that sort of alienated me in some ways from the church community. I had one good friend, but largely, and it was a very large group of boys, there were about 18 of us in my group. Wow. And so I was bullied a lot, locked in closets, beat up, all kinds of terrible things. Oh, <laughs> and. Uh, and I think because of that, I just didn't feel like I was part of it. I didn't enjoy going to church because I didn't want to be around these people that much. Sure. And I think that was really, it was a social thing that really soured my attitude. And my parents were very faithful, very devout. You know, we had prayers every day, had family home evening every week. And I think when I was a teenager, I just thought I was too cool for school too, you know, so yeah. the sort of normal things. And so I just didn't, didn't like to be part of that. It just right. didn't seem like me. So I think there were just sort of various kinds of things making it difficult yeah. at that age. Right. Well, and the, it seems like the, the social part of it though, I mean, you, you've got this, this group of 18 boys um, who all, you know, profess some type of knowledge of the gospel, right? Just like with your parents, but, but it sounds like in your experience with them, it doesn't feel like they're living it. Yeah. And so, so that compounds, right? The, the problem is, is it seems like, well, what's the use of the gospel if this is going on? Right. right. And, and so, so you have this as a background. So what was it that led you to, to go on a mission? Well, honestly, I think a lot of it was just a social pressure. Um, and I grew up in a family, my dad's parents were very active, all my cousins were very active, everybody was serving missions. It was just sort of the thing you do. And so I think the reason I went was because of this intense social pressure and also because I hoped it was true, I think. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I hated it and just went because I was a coward, I think. Yeah. Although I think part of it was cowardice. 
but I think part of it was yeah, I really wanted it to be true. And then one other, I think, important thing was I, had, I, I have and had a lot of respect for my dad. And I sort of, I think there was this part of me that thought, my dad wouldn't believe something that's completely crazy, would he, you know? And I, I wanted to be like my dad. And uh, so I think that was an important part yeah. of it too. Yeah, and so, so you go on a mission, and then you had mentioned this, your third companion, mm -hmm. that, that that was where you felt like you had experienced a conversion. What, um, what led to uh, your conversion, and what was that conversion experience like? Well, uh, sort of what happened, I think, is I had intense angst being a missionary that didn't really believe for the first yeah, few imagine. transfers of my mission. Right. And so I was really reading the Book of Mormon like I'd never done before. I had read the entire Book of Mormon before my mission, but I was really reading it now with that real intent. And I was just pleading with God. I wasn't even sure if there was a God at the time, but I was just pleading, you know, like, please let me know somehow. Let me figure this out. And this companion, I'd come up kind of on the heels of two hard companions, and this third companion was really just generous and patient mm. with me and and was an incredibly good example. I guess it seems to me that there's sort of three aspects of conversion, in my, at least for me. There's yeah. a kind of social aspect. There's a kind of theological, sort of a theoretical sort of aspect. And then um, a kind of historical aspect, you know, the history of the church. And I think all three of those were missing, but then I got a really good social aspect built in because this companion was just so good. Yeah. And I was really reading my scripture, so the sort of theoretical aspect was starting to come in. I didn't know really much about the history except the stuff you just hear in Sunday school at the time. And I think that those two things sort of came together and I had, you know, I had one of these kind of powerful experiences. But I don't know if that's a conversion. I think that's a moment where I gained testimony, but I think crucially, right. I didn't become converted then. I think that, you know, that's been, that's still happening. Yeah. So, but you gained that testimony there, and then did that help alleviate some of the angst that you felt on your mission? Yeah. In fact, yeah. It, was, it was a complete paradigm shift for me. I went from being this kind of, I don't know, I, I don't think outwardly I was sullen, but I felt sullen mm. inside and, and depressed, discouraged, to I just felt completely on fire the rest of my mission. I mean, I, I just felt unstoppable. I felt yeah. like I just had intense spiritual power flowing through me from that moment on. And so you, you have that moment, you serve your mission. You had mentioned that, that that conversion process is something that's still happening, mm -hmm. right, in, in your life. And as we gain more truth and as we try to, to develop and become more and more like Christ, what, what challenges have you faced as, as you've grown that testimony that you had that started on your mission? So I think I had this nice trajectory going into college, and I felt really great most of college. Um, I majored in English, and that was a, a really important sort of formative thing for me because it really taught me to read and think more about things. And I think it helped shift my temperament a little bit, too, hmm. to being more patient, yeah. um, a little bit more comfortable with ambiguity and so forth. But after college, right after college, I actually did have a kind of intense crisis of faith where it just felt like somehow my belief system just got shattered. And it's a strange thing because it was just reading 
some history, <laughs> not history of the church, it was some ancient Greek history. <laughs> and for some reason it just flicked a little switch in me. What was it about the ancient Greek history in particular? It was talking about some of these old pagan religions mm. and some of their practices and I just saw all these parallels yeah. to Christianity and I thought, you know, some people would read that and think, well, look, God's, you know, acting in the lives of these Greeks, in, even in their pagan religions. But for me, that's not how I reacted. I guess there's a sense in which for all the evidences that we are presented with, we also have to interpret the evidence. Yeah. And, and so I was interpreting this evidence that some people might have taken as evidence for the gospel, as evidence against it. And for whatever reason, it just clicked this little switch in me and mm -hmm. I really went through a difficult time. And I think crucially, one thing that helped me through that was talking about it with my wife, being open about it, not letting it sort of fester inside in isolation. Yeah. And so, but, but you felt like you could talk to your wife about it. You didn't feel like she would be judgmental. Well, I was actually quite scared. And the way I did it, we, we were headed to the temple mm -hmm. um, on a little temple trip. And as we were driving along, I handed her my journal, which had been going through. Oh, I just, I'm not sure about any of this. And I said, why don't you read this? <laughs> so she's reading and she, of course she starts crying and she's like, oh, what does this mean? And I yeah. was like, I don't know what it means. But um, I think that was actually in some ways a more formative experience than the one I had on my mission because I think that was the time when I really, I think, started to realize that I didn't really understand the gospel. I became aware of my ignorance in a way that I hadn't been before. Mm -hmm. And I started to see that certain things aren't as clear cut and clean as I had just assumed they were. Yeah. And so how did you work through that? I mean, there you are at this moment and you're like, okay, not everything's as, as clean and as clear cut, but how, how did you work through that? And how did you work through that with, with your wife? I think the way I did it is sort of the standard story that a lot of people have. I went to the internet <laughs> and uh, I just started reading everything I could find. And, um, you know, this was before things like the CES letter that was kind of famous. Um, so I didn't have a nice place where people had sort of gathered everything, but I, I just scoured the internet and I read books and and in some ways it kind of led me through, I had this other experience that sort of yeah. helped cement me, which was I went to graduate school for my master's degree in Virginia. And I had an office mate who was exploring Christianity for the first time, she was Asian. And so it was kind of her first exposure to these things. And she had started going to this Presbyterian church and this pastor was giving her um, anti-Mormon books because she had talked about her Mormon office mate or something like that. Okay. So I uh, got invited by him. I read these books that she, she gave me. She was like, well, she, you know, tell me about these things. So I read mm -hmm. these books. Then I started having weekly meetings. So for almost two years, I had a weekly meeting with this pastor and he would bring people from his congregation. <laughs> <laughs> and that forced me to confront my concerns and my questions in a very public way yeah. and have to try to articulate my, my views and try to figure out what it was that I even believed. Right. And I think that experience really cemented in my mind uh, 
the principles of the gospel and how beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ is as we've gotten it in the restored church. And, and so, because, you know, there are, there are lots of people who would read something like the CES letter and, and other things on the internet um, who have had the opposite experience. So, so why do you think, you know, reading those things and then having to defend them in such a public way, what was it about that that, you've, that you feel like reinforced your, your testimony? I think part of what it is is, you know this from writing. I think once you start writing, you start thinking more clearly. It's the act of mm. articulation that brings into focus what you believe and what you think, but it also brings into focus where you don't understand something and where you have to sort of do some more work. And so actually, when I was in my master's degrees, when the CS letter came out, I read it then. And I think for me what it was is I started to realize there actually are pretty darn good answers to a lot of the questions. I think theologically our religion is, I, I, don't, I don't think it can be surpassed. I think it's mm -hmm. the most beautiful theology I've encountered. And I've done my, you know, I'm not a scholar by any means of other religions, but I've tried to study these things. And I think we have the most beautiful theology. And Given the theology and the power of the theology, certain other kinds of worries that might, I might have, historical worries or social worries, seemed less potent for me. And so it was the theology that really came, became crystal clear for me in a way that yeah. um, really cemented me. Yeah. So that's really interesting because you brought up writing, which, which I think is a really good connection to that, that, that sometimes you don't know what you think until you've written it until you have to move some of those ideas and thoughts out of your head and then think about, well, how do I communicate that on the page to someone else who, yeah. who doesn't know me? And it was through that process that you begin to see sort of a, of a beauty to our theology um, that maybe supersedes some of the, the other issues that right. can come up, right? That's really good. Because it's interesting too, you had talked about um, reading something from the Greeks and so you're, you're currently uh, finishing a doctoral degree in, in philosophy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we've talked about reading a lot of books and I know sometimes um, you know, some people can feel um, what nervous or, 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 or a little concerned about intellectualizing the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so one question I wanted to ask you is, so how is the process of, of using your mind or developing your cognitive abilities, how has that helped you uh, to strengthen your testimony in the gospel? That's a good question. I think, maybe let me just say how I think about Revelation, because sure. I think that helps make it clear. I, I think there's a kind of model of Revelation that we have that's pretty a, a dominant um, view in the church and, and other religions too, yeah. which is a kind of theophanous view of religion where God comes down and like communicates directly or somehow, in, in a way I think of this as the puppet master God, mm. you know, the the God that like somehow suddenly takes control of the prophet and the prophet just literally communicates exactly what God wants. And I think that's the wrong view of Revelation. I think of Revelation as a kind of uncovering or unfolding of the truth. And God has endowed us with many faculties. I think our reason is one faculty, yeah. imagination, um, our ability to feel emotion and and the ability to feel the spirit. I think all of these things are ways in which God has endowed us with capacities and faculties that allow us to get access to the truth. And so I think by training the discipline that I've received in, in philosophy, which has helped me to ask better questions, to, 
to pause and consider before mm. I uh, um, sort of endorse something right. um, has helped me to hone that, that uh, faculty of reasoning and also I think imagination because philosophy requires the use of a lot of imagination and I think by honing those kinds of faculties, any of the faculties that we've been endowed with, we become better at receiving revelation. And so I don't think of reason as opposed to faith or something like this, but I think that they're actually part of the same package of things that God's given us. Mm. And by learning more about how to use these faculties effectively, I think we put ourselves in a position to receive revelation more clearly. And so, in fact, I think sometimes we, we can sort of hamstring ourselves by thinking that we only are receiving revelation when it comes just from the spirit. You know, it's got to be like some voice in my head or something like that, or the yeah. bur burning in the bosom. Whereas I think, no, we should be using all those things. I think this is what Joseph Smith is teaching uh, Oliver Cowdery, you know, study it out in your mind. Right. Um, I think that's the model I use. And so when I think about my faith and how my education has helped my faith, I think it's helped immensely because it's helped me be a better receptacle for revelation. Yeah. Well, I love I love that that idea that that revelation that what we can what we can or should be doing is using all of the tools that the Lord has given us to try to access um, divine truth in, mm -hmm. in whatever way that we can. Um, just just one final question. So. Um, you know, you're, you're almost finished with your PhD in philosophy. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work um, in, in that field, um, you know, honing your, your, your skills as a thinker. But what, do you have any advice that you would give um, to any of us who have encountered things or have intellectual challenges? I mean, what, what advice would you give maybe looking back mm. or advice that you give to people that aren't in doctoral programs in philosophy? I think two things. The first and most important one, I think, is that we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I think centers on Jesus Christ, yeah. surprisingly. And I think we can get distracted by lots and lots of questions, and it's not to say that they're not important, but we can get so distracted by questions about Joseph Smith and what he did, this or that, or some some kind of theological concern that we lose the picture of who Jesus Christ is and, and the plan that we've been given. And I think when we look at that, it's, I think it's hard to deny that it's a, an incredibly beautiful thing. And I think that, I mean, this is another one of those faculties. I think our aesthetic faculties can lead us to truth. In fact, this is, this is well regarded amongst scientists and philosophers. I think that beauty is an indicator of truth often. Um, lots of Nobel Prize physicists say that beauty is crucial to good theory, interestingly. Right. Um, and I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. But the second thing I think is don't be afraid of questions. I think questions are they're the things that we have to be using to get to the truth. I think, what if Joseph Smith never asked the question? Right. Yeah, that um, starts everything, doesn't it? Yeah, and s sometimes I think we have a negative attitude about questions, but I think don't be afraid of your questions and be patient with your questions and with getting the answers. Uh, I mean, obviously there's tricky things and it's difficult, it's complicated, but be patient, don't be afraid of the questions, because if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, 
then it can withstand the scrutiny of the most intense questioning. And so I think that's what we should do. We should question. Excellent. Thank you so much, Derek. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you.